If you are here today and you're checking things out, you know, this is not a normal ser- series that we're going to be rolling through, but I encourage you to be here for the next five weeks because what we're going to be talking about is what this church is aiming at doing over the next couple of years. And uh, so you get a, you'll get a baseline on who we are, what we're doing, what we're up to, and uh, you'll, you'll be able to make a good decision from that. So you get to eavesdrop on us, but church, all branch, I'm talking to you guys mainly today. I am, um, this conversation is for us as we get in that and everybody else gets to eavesdrop. Glad that you're here. Um, before we dive in, man, that worship was awesome. So thank you, John. Thank you, team, for, for, uh, for leading us in that. Also, you know, this is a huge deal. What we're entering into is, um, is no small venture that we're going to be attempting to look at the next two years and talk about where we're heading and what we're going to be doing. Thank you guys for being here today. Hope I'll see you guys for all five weeks. And really, it starts around this conversation of... Um, of my grandma. Uh, my grandma's still alive. She actually lives up in Gavilan Hills area. And uh, at least I, I hope she's still alive. You know, I haven't heard from her lately, but <laughs> she's, she's in that phase. And um, uh, maybe you remember your grandparents being in that phase, or maybe you're in that phase where you'd show up their house. And for some reason you could never leave without them trying to force half their belongings on you. <laughs> You stand there, you're like, they're like, hey, take the stove. I'm like, I don't need your stove. You know, so it's everything. It's literally, she's like constantly been trying to get rid of her home. She's one of those, I wouldn't say she's a hoarder. She's the 1940s generation. Grew up when you were, when you were still keeping everything that was necessary. But, you know, she would buy a cabbage patch. I think she still has this thing and kept it in a box and put it up on a shelf. And it's just sitting there waiting for eBay one day, you know, that kind of a thing. And, and my grandma's only, the only thing I actually took home was this Bible. And this is an old Bible. It's from the 1890s. Uh, at least it was made in the 1890s. It was given to either my great aunt or my, or my great grand, one of my great grand, I don't know who these people are, but it, um, it was given on Christmas day in 19, 1911. And, and so it just amazes me. I've got all these dates of people who, uh, who were born and died in here. It's a family Bible. And it's, so it's a bit of an heirloom for me and my family. And I have it kind of put in my office to remind me of the history that goes on in the background. That, these, that there were faithful believers in my family in the past that I want to pass on that faithful belief on. How many of you guys have a family heirloom of some kind? Jewelry, furniture, old Bibles, you know, whatever. Throw your hand up real quick. I, it sounds like pop up there, but good. And so some of you guys, how many of you guys have a grandma who gives you everything? Anybody else have that? So, oh, good. I'm not going to her house either. And so there's this reality that, all, that we get in this place and yet some of you feel like I haven't ever inherited anything. You didn't raise your hand. That's not true. Everyone in this room, if you name the name of Jesus Christ, if you follow after Jesus and you're a Christian, all of us in this room have been given inheritance. Now, we think it typically that inheritance as what is coming in the future in heaven, and that's true. That's your inheritance that's coming there. But there's also an inheritance that's been given to us that is ours right now to possess and to have and to hold this very moment. And that's what I want to focus in on. I want to focus in on the fact that God has given to you a very important venture. He's, he's handed to you a very important set of information that we know as his story. And, you know, This story is an important one. It is all that we're about. God's story or his story, he's been telling this since the beginning. And this story lays out in a very real framework. You can read it in the Bible. You can look at it. Let me kind of capture it for you in the sense that it starts in in the creation. It moves to this movement called the fall and then moves on to this thing that we call redemption. And so it begins, if you've ever started reading your Bible and uh, you've probably gotten past to page one and two and three, and you've gotten into Genesis one, 
and Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. And that's really where this beginning portion starts. That God created man. He created humanity. And he did it for a reason. He did it so he could know us and he could enjoy us. That God wasn't out to just simply create and, and just uh, you know, make slaves or was bored. And so one day he, he was lonely and wanted to make something. No, God actually, who is, who is passionately just satisfied in himself created us so that we would enjoy him. And in that, he produced this entire beautiful world, shaped it and formed it and put us in it, gave us the animals, gave us the plants for food, he gave us water to drink, and he made it all in this garden setting in which he provided everything we would ever need. There was a husband and a wife, Adam and Eve were there. They had companionship. They had God's very presence himself walking in the garden so they were not divided from him. They even had God's perfect rule and it was one rule, a very simple rule. Don't eat of that tree right there. That's pretty much that rule. And and that was because God was God and he is a God who has command. And so we understand there's this relationship with us and God. And this relationship was supposed to be intimate. It was supposed to be real. It was supposed to be enjoyable. And the second movement begins in Genesis chapter 3, where the serpent enters the garden, tempts Eve. Eve actually falls and takes the fruit, and Adam, who is standing right by her, does nothing to defend the situation, takes it himself and eats, and just drops humanity into a mess. We know this mess. God shows up on the scene in his story and begins to tell Adam and Eve and says, hey, what have you guys been doing? Have you eaten of this tree? And then proceeds on to curse humanity and the world. We think that's ridiculous. Why would God curse over eating a fruit? You know, but he already warned them, don't eat of this fruit or you'll die. And so his curse was kind of a nice, a grace. He didn't immediately destroy humanity. He graced them with just a curse. And this curse is awful. Yeah, it involves child pain, you know, bearing in childbirth and, and raising children. It involves sweat and toil and weeds. It involves the earth rising against us and, and causing tornadoes and earthquakes and all the massive hysteria that can occur. But it also includes the fact that we have been left to ourselves in our sin. You know, with the wars that we like to create because of pride. With the arguments within our homes, with the divorces and our children and, and us having parents that have, are, are, are kind of spread out or family lines that have been broken or horrible evils that have been committed to us by other people. All of the different sins that have been created and propagated in humanity and even supported in certain systems of our governments have found their way crawling into this world. And God has basically left this curse here to remind us of something very clear. He is saying to us this, this isn't what I meant it to be. And when we stand at a funeral and we deal with our loved ones who have died, God is simply stating to us, this isn't what I meant it to be. And he had a plan. He didn't leave us in the fall. He didn't leave us messed up and remaining there. And while many of human beings feel that's where we've been left, God embarked upon a journey. He embarked upon a a redemptive theme. And after the fall, and we broke that relationship with God, he moved on to say, guys, here's what I want to do. I want to give you a redemption. And he set out to redeem his creation. He set out by beginning with one man. And this man's name was Abram, or Abraham as we know him today. Father Abraham Thank you. Just wanted to hear if you do it. All right. So it goes on. And this is the verse in chapter 12. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to the land that I will show you. 
So he doesn't even tell him what land. He's going to say, I'm going to show you what the land is. So I want you to step out and trust me. I am God. I want you to trust me. We're going to go on a journey. I want you to trust me. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. God blesses Abram to be a blessing to other people. He takes Abraham and he literally says, I'm going to take you on a journey. And in this journey, I'm going to make your name great. Where is Abraham's name not really known on this planet now? The Christians view Abraham as the father of faith. The Jewish people view Abraham as their father in the flesh. The the Muslims revere Abraham as a man to emulate and as also their father of the flesh. They hold up Abraham in high esteem. And these three religions resound in the nations as called the Abrahamic religions. Now what's interesting to me is that this is a promise that was made before those religions came about. And so it's clear that God was doing something with this man. He was beginning something. And that redemption begins by saying, I'm going to make you into a nation. And that nation was known as the nation of Israel. We just sang that song, Great I Am. And it was a name that God gave himself at a certain event. A man named Moses, who was kind of a reject of his people because he had tried to start a revolution. He'd been raised in Pharaoh's home. Manages to wind his way out into the desert to escape from the dangers of his life that he's just caused for himself. Living 40 years as a shepherd, a meaningless nobody in his mind, he comes upon a bush that's randomly burning and he's amazed that it's not burnt up and he steps forward and God speaks to him and gives him his name, I I am who I am. Tells him, get out there. Go bring my children, the children of Israel, out from slavery. Tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses argues with God. It's not really safe, but somehow Moses gets away with it. It's like, I don't speak good. And God's just like, no, I'll be with you. I am who I am. I am with you. Go. Moses goes, brings the people out. The people become this nation that God wants to use and shape and form. And he says, you know what? This blessing I've given to Abraham is the blessing I'm bestowing on you. And so I've given you these laws. I've given you these things that will make you different. In Leviticus chapter 22, in a summation passage, God actually states this. He says, so you shall keep my commandments and do them. No, he is. Americans, we think of commandments and we're like... Great rules. Wow, that's so nice. Thanks for more laws, because we got so many laws, don't we? In their world, God shrunk them. He said, here's 10. We'll expand on these 10s and the various laws, but here's the 10 commandments, and these commandments were made in such a manner that they set them apart from the nations surrounding them. Have you ever done research on what the nations looked like in the time period of Moses? They were pretty raunchy cultures, pretty nasty groups of people. And yet here he says, no, I'm going to protect people as the image of God. I'm going to set you apart. You are going to obey my commands and do them because I'm the Lord and you shall not profane my holy name. I'm going to be so set apart for you that I may be set apart, sanctified among the people of Israel. I am the I am who sanctifies you. He says, I make you different. A relationship with me sets you apart, makes you radically different from everything else surrounding you. And I'm the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. In other words, I'm the one who brought you out of safety. I called Abraham out. I've called you out. It's time for you guys to do something. I've given you a mission. And in fact, you can read about it in Deuteronomy where their mission was to take this message of Yahweh to the nations. So they would be a, bless- they would be a blessing to the nations. 
the blessing of Abraham bestowed here. And yeah, but they didn't. That's primarily they argued we didn't because we don't have a king. So God said, here's a king. His name was Saul, lousy king. Instead, God said, I'll pick out a king for you. And he picked out a man after his own heart named David. And David rises up as king, sits on the throne, and does a good job. He's not perfect, but he does a good job. And he's the best king they have, so they call it the throne of David. And then suddenly the prophets start appearing. The prophets start speaking because they've got lousy king after lousy king, then a good one and a lousy one. The nation's been split in half. It just doesn't look like God intended. The fall is here, again saying, this isn't what I wanted. This isn't what I desired. And so God says, I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to bring you a king. Who's going to bring about my kingdom that I'm talking about? And in Isaiah, the prophet, he stands up and he tells Ahaz at the, at the gate. And he's telling this prophecy. He says, for a child is born and to us a son is given. The government will, shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Anybody got Handel's Messiah rolling through your head at this moment? Because we sing this at Christmas. This is about a promised king who would be anointed. We call him the Messiah, the Christ. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God is so passionate about this, he's going to make it happen. How are you going to have peace? How is there going to be righteousness? How is, there going to be a t- How is this going to last forever? if sin exists in our hearts. And so God began to hint that there was going to be something that was coming. And in Daniel, he hinted again. He said, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, notice nations and language, sounds like what he said to Abraham, should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. There's this king who's coming who's everlasting power and strength. His, he'll bring peace and righteousness and goodness. We call this the kingdom of God. And as God hints and hints and hints that this is coming, over and over and over in scripture, the people anticipated and waited for the day and the hour in which this king would appear. And just roughly when they were expecting it, One named Jesus does come. Jesus Christ comes and he removes the sin and finalizes the redemption that God has been saying. What started way back at the creation, moved forward and God began this redemption, culminates in Jesus Christ. Who on the cross, after living out clearly the kingdom of God, healing people who are sick, raising up people who are dead, showing what the kingdom looks like. You want to know what the kingdom looks like? Go look at Jesus' life and what he does, and you'll see the kingdom of God. And then he dies on the cross. And there on this cross, being rejected by humanity, he bears our sin. And the mess that started in the garden is resolved at the cross. The mess that started with the tree ends with the tree. And Jesus there on the cross bears our sins. And then he doesn't stay dead. He resurrects from the dead, comes back with power and life that we might have life. And he offers this gift to all of humanity, right? Not a bunch of new works and a bunch of new laws. We've seen laws don't help. We've seen this doesn't happen. Not just a king. We need someone to take over our lives, to lead us and cleanse us of our sins. And that's what Jesus does at the cross. And if we will trust the promise that God has, he gives us this right to follow Jesus, to become his children, and to walk in his ways. And so we become Christians. And this story that I'm telling, the story of redemption, doesn't end there. Instead, 
Jesus made it clear to a bunch of, a band of disciples, students. He said, this is the story I want you to take out there. And here's what I think is beautiful. He tells them, go. And then he encourages them earlier. And I think this was in their mind when they saw this. He was asking them, who do you say that I am? They said, oh, the Christ. He says, you're right. And then Jesus tells them this. I tell you, you're Peter. Peter's the one who confessed. And on this rock, I will build my church. Guys, we all know a church isn't a building. I guess not. Did you know a church isn't a building? <laughs> this, you could tear this walls down. Olive Branch doesn't stop as long as we gather together under the name. We, we're Olive Branch. But the church is beyond Olive Branch. The church is all the gathering of the believers, the saints, those who love Jesus Christ and are saved through his work on the cross. That's the church. Take our Bibles away. Take our buildings away. Take our budgets away. And we will still be the church. Amen? That's what the church is. And when he says, I will build my church, he does not mean blocks of stone. He means bringing people to Christ. He means bringing people to know his father. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's why I'm an optimist when it comes to the church, by the way. If you were to ask me what I really think is going to happen, I think Jesus told us the church will succeed in its mission to be a blessing to all the nations. That that is our destiny and our goal. We should live it out and walk in the faithfulness that Jesus Christ builds his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen? And so no wonder the church is now the ones given to tell a story. They were standing there thinking about the end times, asking questions to Jesus about the end times when Jesus replied with this basic statement, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon me. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, where you're at, in Judea, all the regions, Samaria, the region next door, and to the ends of the earth, which is where you and I sit right now. We're in the ends of the earth. But what he was telling us is that this is what we need to be doing. You need to be as a church, you need to reach locally and you need to reach globally. There should be a both and perspective for every church. And that's what we aim to do. Because we're part of the story. You see, that little band of disciples on a day of Pentecost are preaching the gospel. 3,000 people came in. From that nugget of 3,000 in a church, it began to expand to five. Then it moved out to where it started to spread across the entire Mediterranean Sea. From Spain all the way to Turkey, and then all the way into Iraq, and modern-day Iraq and Iran, the gospel had spread by the end of the first century. It had rolled its way down into Ethiopia and spread in down there. It had moved subtly into the heart of Africa, traveled down the, the Silk Road into the heart of China and had traveled by Thomas to the southern, the southern aspect of the southern coast of India. The gospel had spread by the, by the second century and all the way into these areas. By the third century, it was beginning to take over the Germanic tribes of the north that we know as Germany and Denmark and Switzerland. Eventually, by the 1000, it had been the whole coast of North Africa, all of Europe, and even well into, the, into what is modern day Russia. And the gospel is still spreading in Egypt and spreading down south. And eventually, the gospel gets so honed and so excitable in the Reformation, it spreads then, by the, in the 14 to 1500s, across the seas to the North America, into the South America, and to the coasts of Africa. By the late 17 and 1800s, it's begun to spread into the heart of Africa, into the heart of the Amazon jungle, out into the, the weird islands called Indonesia, into, the Asian, into all of the Asia countries. By the 21st century today, the gospel is exploding and alive in Asia. 
It is exploding and alive in South America. It is exploding and alive in Africa to where we, as the North American Christians and of the West, are the minority of the church today as believers. There are more Christians outside of North America and the Western European cultures than there are in it. But that tells a story. You see, you go to England where, and you go to France and you go to these locations. Think about France with its great cathedrals and its stories from Victor Hugo and the depth of Christianity that existed in those cultures and were spreading and, and the fact that John Calvin, one of the great teachers of the church, came from France. France was alive and well in a heartbeat of the church and today it is an unreached people. Unknown about Jesus. They just don't know about Jesus. They don't care post-Christian. You know what Europe looks at when they walk through their great cathedrals? They look at coffee shops and stores because there aren't churches singing the praises of God, wondering at the fact that what happened in the garden has been resolved at the cross. And through the power of the resurrection, they aren't living in that anymore. What they see is monument upon monument of their history. Guys, I fear that's the danger that we may incur as Americans. That if we're not careful to take what God has passed to us, namely his story, and pass it on to others, we too wind up being a monument. And God has not called us to that. He has called us to be a movement, not a monument. A monument looks back to the past. It remembers, oh, do you remember when we did that VBS? Oh, do you remember when we... It remembers. It speaks of what happened. It doesn't speak about what's happening. A movement speaks of where it's going, what it will do. It envisions and it drives and it trusts and it moves. Movement is forward. And God has never called his church to look back. It has always called his church to move forward. Yes, it says, remember, remember the past for the sake of the motivation that I am with you to do what I've called you to do in the future. Remembrance is not memorial, some dead thing. Remembrance is motivation to move us forward. And guys, the danger is that we see our buildings and we see where we're at and we just go, you know what? We're good. Let's calm down, relax. We're fine. Let's set up a monument. But I don't, I don't think that's what God's called us to do because God has passed his story to us to tell in this area. You see, down this valley is an interesting piece of property that we purchased a few years ago. We bought it for $1.1 million. That was under $100,000 an acre. Now, I tell non-Christians that and they go, that's incredible. I tell Christians that and they go, why in the world would we buy that? Why why would we spend that kind of money? Come on now. (laughs) But the point is that, guys, we have an awesome opportunity. In that same valley, if you were to go back to the early 1800s, a man named Leandro Serrano walked up and decided this was where he was going to build his home. We call the Ranchero. Possessed Glen... Ivy, hot springs, you got to be careful when you say that around here. <laughs> it, can, it had that property all the way stretching down all or, through hundreds and hundreds of acres. And I was in a Dahlia's Pizza um, a couple years ago. And I was looking at the map just because I was waiting for our pizza. And I'm staring at it. And there's a little red mark, a little blue mark actually on the map. I'm like, oh, what's that? It's right roughly where the property was. It says first home in Riverside County. It was the first home. Riverside County is 100 yards off from our current property. Where God began the movement of Riverside County, I believe he wants to be, continue a movement of the gospel. Right there in that location, he wants to begin to spread it out. He wants to begin to see this message spread through the valley, into South Corona, down into North Elsinore, out into Paris. We have people coming from the church all the way from Menifee up to Eastvale. 
This isn't just a small location. On all four of the services, there are people covering all these areas. It's an opportunity, I believe, that God's called us to because that's what the church is founded on. When Ike Riddle stepped into Corona and had stepped away from his other church that he had kindly been asked to leave because he was too passionate about reaching people for the lost, he decided, hey, I'm going to step up and I'm going to do something. I'm going to start a church, a disciple-making movement. I don't see a church around here that's doing that. I'm ready to do it. And he went door to door and prayed his guts out and started a little unnamed church at the time that would later be known as Olive Branch. And faithful people over and over and over have taken this gospel, the story that's been passed from generation to generation and then passed to Ike, he passed it to us. We now pass it to others. And in the next two years, what we want to do is we want to be able to take this story and tell this area with this story. We want to spread it out and we're calling it his story. So I want you guys to check this video out. It'll give you a good idea of what we're looking at, and then we'll talk briefly about it. It's a beautiful valley. Well, over 200,000 people make their lives happen here. Everyday people who get ready for work, who take their kids to soccer and to school, who, who watch their children grow up and become grandparents. And Ike Riddle came to this valley as a pastor, and he looked around for a vibrant disciple-making church, a movement. He didn't find one. So he decided 26 years ago to begin that movement that we know as Olive Branch Community Church. It began in Norco, and then moved into Corona, and then down to South Corona here in in El Cerrito, and now it's reaching down to the Temescal Valley. With each movement, God has blessed us. He's blessed us to reach different people. He's blessed us to do different activities. But with that blessing, it's come a threat. A threat that God has has finished telling his story through us, that somehow we've arrived. A threat that the movement could become a monument. This is a monument. In fact, this monument marks the heart of Leandro Serrano's home. It was the first home in all of Riverside County. Now you can see that the the world around this monument has changed a lot. But this monument, which has sat here for 75 years, has changed very little. Because that's what monuments do. They mark what was. We believe God isn't done with Olive Branch. In fact, we believe that our best years are still ahead of us. And that's why we're going to focus in these next two years on an initiative that we're calling His Story. Olive Branch, God wants to continue to tell His story through us, through our neighbors, through our coworkers, through our friends. And when we tell His story, it changes lives for eternity. That's why over the next two years, We're going to love it, we're going to live it, we're going to share it. Through his story, we're going to expand God's worship as we love his story. Let's be like the angels that Jesus talked about. Let's be like Jesus himself who celebrate when the lost are found. Let's celebrate when his story changes a life and love that he changed ours. We aim to see his worship expanded by double where his story is wondered at weekly. We aim to give room to worship him in the new worship center. And we aim to be blown away at his story by sharing how that story has changed lives. And we want to tell 104 of those stories. 
one thing that I really appreciate about Olive Branch is the ability to make really good friendships. Just deep, meaningful, spiritual um, sisters and brothers, you know, these friendships that we've made through FPU, through the membership classes, the serving in ministry, and just on Sunday mornings, there's so many just wonderful families to get to know and people to just step alongside you in life and and we step right alongside them and be there for each other. Also in this two-year initiative, we want to live his story. Now celebrating his story is awesome and it should be done, but we want to go deeper. We want to go deeper in his word. We aim to live his story by seeing 200 new people discipled in two years and a thousand people in community groups. We want to call groups to live his story by serving together twice a year. We also want to start classes to begin to teach us theology, apologetics, and even more so we can better think through how to live his story. And that'll mean we need to begin building a new training center on the new property. You know, Olive Branch has just really helped our entire family live out our faith. When I look at the discipleship program that we went through, um, my husband coming to Christ, training up our kids in the ways of the Lord and just having that foundation. The practical things too, um, Financial Peace University showed us how to just live with an open hand and, and be good stewards of what the Lord has given us. We're just so thankful that God brought us to Olive Branch and just how He orchestrated everything and the people there to, to impact our life. And it's just changed our entire family. Finally, Olive Branch, we want to share His story. We want to share it with our neighbors. We want to share it with our coworkers. We want to train 10% of our congregation to do just that. We want to share his story in our services, through outreaches to our community, and individually with our neighbors, coworkers, classmates, and friends. We want to share his story globally as well, and we will, by sending and supporting our world team and preparing to send another one. I absolutely love the fact that All Branch is so willing to share its love for Christ. As a youth leader, uh, it's exciting because we had a youth uh, that brought his friend over that was a Muslim girl, and uh, she gave her life to Christ and was baptized just recently. Seeing her get baptized took every part of me not to, not to break down crying. To see someone with, uh, that's such a new believer in Christ uh, uh, just proclaim their faith like that uh, is, is just awe-inspiring to me. It's through loving it, living it, and sharing it that Olive Branch is not going to become a monument. In fact, we're going to move on to the next phase of the movement as we build on that new property. I just take a look at this place. Now, how is this vision going to become a reality? Let me explain how this will work. His story is a one-fund initiative, meaning all our regular giving and special giving is combined into one fund. If we include our missions, benevolence, and regular giving, we as a church generously give about $3 million to Olive Branch in a typical span of two years. To do all that we're talking about with his story, we together will focus our giving into one fund to raise twice that amount in two years. $6 million. That sounds huge, but our generous God is greater. And we believe He is calling us to this challenge. And this will not be met just by some of us participating, but all of us. 
My challenge to you, Olive Branch, is to ask how you will be involved in his story. This can be done if we each don't take this as a personal challenge to grow in our faith. We will be stretched to engage his story because that story is one of generous sacrifice. In these next two years, we'll move forward in our momentum, asking God to write his story through us. I can't wait to see what God does in me, in you, and through each one of us through this initiative. We're pumped about what God is doing here at Olive Branch. Let's together be one church after this one initiative to see his story written through us. So guys, if you heard on the video, we're going we're gonna to unpack this over the next four weeks. And really what we're looking at is there's each of these pieces that are going to come rolling out, the love it, the live it, and the share it. And I want to talk about those in detail when we get there. But at this point, I want to talk quickly about the idea that this is a one fund initiative. Um, why, are we, why are we saying that? What does that mean? You know, when churches usually do this kind of stuff, they go like, hey, we're going to do this uh, building fund over here. And really, honestly, we understand one thing. The church is not the building, right? That the church is a ministry, that we together move forward to in that. And, you know, if you're part of the church here, it's the goal to see the message move forward. It's the goal to see his story be announced and brought through out this valley. Now, included in that ministry, included in that idea, is indeed that building and is indeed involved in that. But everything, all the giving, all the stuff that you guys normally give is pulled together into one fund for the sake of everything from our facilities to, yes, even the staff's pay to the ministries that we're doing and we're seeing to even the new building. All that's brought together in one focus. Now, before we go further, though, the, you're going to see this term that this is going to be um, budgeted at $6 million, one fund, $6 million over two years. And you're going like, oh, numbers. Yes, numbers. Hold on one second about numbers. There's two dangers I want to point out about numbers, and I understand these, that the enemy loves to mix us up on numbers. Now, first half of the danger of numbers is that we're talking about money. And, you know, if you're a guest here, we don't always talk about money. We don't normally talk about money. But Jesus does talk about money, and we want to talk about money because, let's be honest, we live in this world, in the United States. It takes money to do ministry. It takes money to, to bring up, to be able to put the lights on and do this kind of stuff. It takes money to care for each other. The Bible is very clear about that. It talks about where our heart is, there our money is also. And so there's a very con- deep connection, pastorally speaking, to our money and where we're at as disciples. So there is a need to talk about this, but we need to talk about it in the right context. This isn't given to us to line our pockets and walk around going, hey, I got a new Ferrari. No, that's not the goal. The goal is to care and to minister, to bring this message to the valley. The second half, however, is that numbers get bent us out of shape in another way. We go, oh, numbers. Oh, they just want to make the church bigger. Numbers, bigger numbers. Let's pause for a second on that too. Because let's face it, when we're, well, look up here. I got a whole front row. I know why the front row is empty, because I spit. But the point is... <laughs> Yes, splash zone. Let's fill the splash zone. We'll get a Gallagher master so I don't know. But the idea is that, guys, when you think of the look around at the empty seats, in first service and second, third service, there's plenty of them. These aren't just empty seats. There's are missing pages in the story. 
These are people who honestly, we really honestly don't want to see our neighbors, our coworkers to experience the care and the love that God has given us through the gospel, that we're forgiven of our sins. We have an opportunity for heaven and eternity, that we don't want to know what our giftedness is and the purpose for living on this planet to be able to get out there and use it to care and minister to other people, to be a joy to other people's hearts, to bless others because we've been blessed. Or the idea is simply that we would step forward and be able to see that God may want to use me in a greater purpose than I ever imagined. That honestly, we don't want to see people celebrate and rejoice over other people having eternity. That they don't want to enjoy the wonder of the worship music. They don't want to hear the message be challenged to improve their lives, to support other people and their families, just like you and I got to do just this morning. All we're saying is we don't want other people to have our experience. That's all numbers are. Numbers are about we want other people to experience what we're getting to experience. That other people are getting to have an opportunity to really see Christ and know him and to walk in him. And to be discipled. The goal here isn't numbers. The goal is to bring disciples. To make disciples. People who love and follow after Jesus Christ. That's why it's not just share it. It's love it, live it, share it. It's all of it combined. It's bringing the gospel to the nations. It's bringing the gospel to here. It's all these pieces pulled together. Yeah, and that takes a stretch. I'll be honest, it's going to stretch you. You know what's funny? When you read Jesus, go back and just read one of the gospels today. There wasn't a moment the disciples didn't feel stretched by Jesus. You ever notice that? If you're often feeling comfortable, it's probably because Jesus hasn't taken you on that next step of your journey yet where you're going, I'm not comfortable. Being with Jesus is never comfortable. Churches should not be comfort places. They should be stretching places of our faith. Amen? Shouldn't my preaching stretch you in the way that you're living? Shouldn't the way that we serve each other stretch us in giving of our time? Shouldn't even risk our wallets being opened and used. Yes, all of this stretches us. It will stretch your prayer life. It will stretch you to walk up to your neighbor and go, oh, God, help me. Hi, would you mind coming to church? Yeah, that's going to be a stretch for some of you. What a good stretch. You know, you know what it is when you don't stretch, what you become? Inflexible. And guys, we need to be Flexible. We need to be ready to be stretched in our faith. We need to be ready to get out there. We need to be ready to care for people and see them come to know Jesus Christ and to walk with him just as we are getting to. That's what's going to stretch us. Why now though? Why, why don't we wait another year or two years? No, no, because right now is a great opportunity. Right now, we have that property sitting out there. I went on a walk. It took me two and a half hours to walk from my house in Sycamore Creek to the crossings. Some of you live in an area that you could walk for a half hour and you could probably walk to about five or six churches. If I walk for two and a half hours, I haven't even seen churches that are established. No evangelical church is established in the corridor. The last established church is called Olive Branch and that takes three hours to walk to from my house. Let alone if you're in Sycamore Creek or let alone if you're, sorry, out in Horse Thief Canyon, which is a lot longer walk. Guys, God has given us a position right in the middle of the valley, right where we can spread out with the, the love of God, of God and the beauty of God all the way into Elsinore, up into South Corona. People are coming from Menifee. People are coming from Paris. And the opportunity to just say, guys, you can invite your neighbors. We're closer than we were before. And we have this grand opportunity to connect with people. Second reason, why now? And we'll get into more why now as we go through this. But the other one is simply this. Right now at our church, when we added Kevin Kane on our staff, and I love Kevin. Everybody loves Kevin. Kevin's awesome. 
when we added Kevin Kane on our staff, we were able, he's taken the final piece of the vision. We can see somebody come to Christ, walk into this church, begin to be trained up in the basics, discipled one-on-one, one-on-some, moved into small groups into a ministry. They can find a family in small group. They can find a family in a ministry. They can then be challenged from their small group or their ministry to step out in a Mexico mission ministry trip, get out there, realize what God's calling them to do, maybe in the global perspective, and even seem to think, oh, maybe God's called me to the nations. We can see a non-believer become a missionary in our church and we don't have to lose them. We can see them grow as disciples in our church. Guys, the whole thing is there. We're ready for this. We're ready to see our friends not just be converts, but to become disciples of Jesus Christ. Now is the time. Now is the opportunity. And we need to seize that opportunity. And so some ways we're helping you guys do that. Number one is small groups. Right now our small groups are going to take a pause. And we're all going to be going through the same curriculum stuff. And so it's important that you guys jump in one of those. If you don't have one, get in one. If you don't have one and you can't get in one, maybe just start a small study with your friends. Because we're going to give you the, curric- the information in two locations. First of all, it's right here in this booklet. Everybody here needs to get a booklet. Not one for family. Everybody get a booklet. It's In the back of this booklet, after it's explained the vision, it gives you the small group studies. You have them right there to do your own personal study, or if you're not in a small group, or do your own study. And just use those. Take that opportunity to study through those. The videos for that study, and all of the update information over the next two years about how we're doing, where we're going, and what God's doing, is going to be found on our website. We have another website called, I believe it's obcchistory.com. And so the opportunity is there. You can look at the videos. You can look up updates, photographs, information on where we're going, what's going on. It'll all be posted there. You can keep going there. And finally, that helps you guys begin to do one final thing. As you leave, inside the booklets will be one of these. This is a commitment card. On the last week of this series, the week none of us will miss. Amen? Okay, please don't, don't go like, that's the week I'm going to skip. Please, no, if there's a week you're going to come, come to that one. Because what I want you to do with this card is you're going to take it. You're not going to fill it out. You're not going to do anything. I just want you to look it through, and I want you to pray over it. On the inside is a, is a challenge called a giving ladder. It kind of explains itself on, on, how we're grow, on, on how to grow and stretch in giving. The inside is kind of the commitment form and how it works out. We can talk about that, and we'll talk about that again. And, but on the back is also kind of the gift chart. There's a challenge for various levels, so you can see how we, how we believe we can hit that $6 million mark. But it requires all of us to get involved. It requires all of us to get invested. There's other big pieces you're going to hear about that have other, other things that are going to call us to get moving. The whole plan is laid out so that we can start moving in the same direction. But all this is there for one reason. Because guys, you've been given something. Not just an old Bible, but a message. A message that doesn't just simply go, hey, that was a good story. It's, it's a message that changes hearts in eternity. It changes people for good. And we have the obligation given to us by our Lord Jesus to take his story and yes, to love it and to live it out and to share it everywhere we go. And I hope for the next, over the next, you'll be here for the next part of this series to flesh that out. But in the next two years, that's exactly what we will do every single day as best as we can. And I hope you're with me. If you're with me, say amen.